you a question this afternoon. Uh, what should it be? Should it be Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun, uh, or How Soon Is Now by The Smiths? And 64% of you voted for The Smiths. And who of a certain age weren't touched by The Smiths? If you weren't listening to their music, you at least had The Smiths T-shirt. They were at number one on this day uh, in 1985. And guitarist Johnny Marr described The Smiths as well, their most enduring record. So, yes, indeed, Smith's one out. Rewani Pereira, Smith's fan. Have you even heard, even heard um, the song? You is look he pretty... the same Cure guy? Is that the same? <laughs> is it all different? Oh, my God. It's, oh my God. I told you I don't you're, know. You're, you're just I don't know. People in the, produ- the, the, the studio booth are in tears. <laughs> Ben's crying. <laughs> what part of the Cure is for Smith's? I mean... No. No. no nothing. No, David Ferrer. Robert no, Smith? No, 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 is that not Robert Smith? Am I confusing my Smiths and my I'll just let cures? The, I'll just, just let it wash off. 2101. I'm like Friday ballad, power ballad yeah, guy. That's you. Yeah. David, a Smiths fan or a Soundgarden fan? <laughs> More Soundgarden. Oh, sorry. David, you're so cool. Um, <laughs> there's a first. That's going to go on his tweet. Um, quite a response regarding headphones. How many... Uh, young people have been hit by cars or trains while listening to headphones, says Gavin, a teacher. Um, uh, if kids would rather listen to music over teachers, why have teachers? I'm sure those kids know more than their teachers anyway, says Claire. <laughs> so overwhelmingly in favour of David Farrer and saying oh, no come on. to <laughs> teenagers. Wearing headphones in class. There you go. Um, you're on the panel, RNZ National. Before we go to our next guest, can I please uh, read out this? Because, look, it's fairly long, but we're going to go back to this. Rowani Pereira, in her I've Been Thinking, said, uh, I am over people not giving way to ambulances. Here's one. Ex-cop here. This was a bugbear of mine when blue lighting two priority calls. The amount of vehicles who would not pull over is actually incredibly high. Mm. Pretty much any time I was blue lighting to an emergency, you can count on people not pulling over. A big issue, I think, is that people hear the sirens but assume because that emergency vehicle is deemed to be some distance away, people can just keep driving until the emergency vehicle is much closer. The problem is that people end up pulling over far too late because they don't realise the speed we're travelling at. You might be driving at 50 k's, but emergency services will be driving much faster and they close the gap quickly. Mm. Uh, Don't be a jerk. Please pull over when you hear any emergency vehicle coming. Help make the job of driving to an emergency easier for the paramedics, for the firefighters, for the cops. I love that. What an email. I love it. And I'm sorry, I'm going to get T-shirts and merch. Don't be a jerk. Because that's the bottom line, right? It is, isn't it? It is. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, you're on the panel, uh, RNZ National. Well, Census Night is officially next Tuesday. So anywhere, anyone in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that might need to fill out a fence census form, do so. This year's census will be extended for areas impacted by Cyclone Gabrielle. So how does filling out a form help researchers gain a better picture of our country? Dr. Donal Klein is a research fellow to the Centre for Informed Futures at the University of Auckland. Dr. Klein, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, uh, Torel. And the census 
it's a massive data set, isn't it? Explain to us why is this data set, this data set census, so important? Oh, it is. It is absolutely important. I mean, the data collected uh, provides good overview of what life is like in Aotearoa. Um, it's not just a, an exercise in counting the population. Um, there's information on demographics, the social and economic situation of New Zealanders are all captured by the census. And these data are so important and, and valuable um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, collecting information like this can show the trends, you know, how things have changed over time, population dynamics, uh, which is important to note to, to see if we're progressing, if we're regressing, if we're no changes at all. Um, and all of this goes into decision making and planning for the government and, and ultimately what our tax dollars are going to be used for. Um, so when you think of the general well-being of the population, uh, the government will want to ensure that the, the, the budget is distributed in an equitable way that brings the most value to the population, to, you know, especially to those with the greatest need. Um, and without the census, it might be difficult to tell where those where those areas so, are. So, Donnell, is it a stretch to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the better the census data, the better society well-being? Absolutely. Um, um, and the more accurate the information, the, the better, you know, sense of what we you know, we as researchers or the government know of what is happening in society. So, I mean, foregoing the filling out the form or giving inaccurate responses will ultimately be a, a disservice to you, your whanau and your communities, because it means that you might not be getting the benefits that you deserve. Mm. Yes, and that's a big thing for Māori as well, isn't it, in terms of um, iwi organisations and stuff who would rely on that government fund. Um, it's solely based on um, census data, which is so key. Um, Dr. Klein, I was just wondering, um, back to our, we discussed earlier about, um, you know, it's been a year on from the, the mandate protests and, and that. There's, um, I, I have seen on social media the people that are anti-vaccine, mm. anti-mandate, um, now saying they don't want their, to share their data either for the census. Now, this this is going to be an issue, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it's not only an issue here, I guess, in a lot of places around the world, you see that sort of hesitance. And I think a lot of it might be related to, to that fear of, of how the data is stored, you know, maybe lack of trust, yeah. um, privacy and confidentiality uh, issues. Um, but, but I mean, I can say from my experience that that's and that typically does a really good, good job. And, and they're very serious in protecting people's data. Um, they have great systems, they have procedures in place to do that and, and to, to safeguard your information and, and to safeguard the access to that information. It's not just open to, to any random person. There, there are lots of, um, lots of hoops you have to jump through before you can actually get these, these data. Yeah, and there's always been a little bit of a pushback historically towards census, hasn't there, Donnell? I mean, as um, Rwani rightfully says, it's really ramped up. But I can recall the wizard spending the night of the 1981 census in a boat 12 miles offshore. <laughs> Say that again, so they were. Oh no, were just a guy. Census. Just a guy called a wizard tried to evade the census by being offshore. But let's bring, <laughs> let's let's <laughs> yeah, let's bring David Farrah in. David, yeah, I remember the wizard. He was the most famous, um, I guess, census avoider. But yes. I'm someone who uses census data all the time. It's so useful to be able to go down to the mesh block level. I won't get too technical here. 
And people might not know this, just like you can now vote in advance of the actual election day, you don't have to wait till the 7th of March to start doing your census. If you know you're not going to be away from home that night, you can actually do it now. I've already done mine. I've done my children's, etc. Okay. Um, so don't wait till the 7th. You can go do it now. Get it out of the way. The only reason you want to wait till the 7th is if there's a chance you might be traveling and staying somewhere else that night. Um, do you yeah. know that friends of mine have got two, yeah, t- two sets of senses? That's the most common question coming up yeah. uh, online, Donnell Rawani. Yeah. Sorry, um, also people I know have got two sets of census forms to fill out, like double ups, and I still haven't got mine yet. Are you? Oh. Really? No. Oh, no. If you haven't got yours, no. go to the website. Yes. Give them I need your to cell do that, phone David. Yeah. And they just teach yeah. you a code. I do all on my cell phone in around 10 minutes. Okay, um, yeah, I'll do that. Because I'll I haven't that. Thank mine you. either. I was so keen to do it. Yeah, me I too. To I'm like amping well. to do it, and yeah. everyone else is complaining, and I'm like, oh, I want to do mine. I don't have it. Um, oh, do that's the right attitude. Yeah, can you, can you address people um, receiving two packs, address of the household, both having different reference numbers? Yeah, yes, yeah, so I remember that confusion, and there was a lot on social media about this. Um, but that and that has come out and said that this is, this is by design. Um, so this is based on their field testing in 2022. Um, so they have sent out two census pack- packets to some people as sort of a reminder. Um, and if you're worried about your oh. data being, yeah, yes. So it's, in my, in my mind, I think it's to get better coverage, to, you know, okay. to not have that undercounting. And, and if you're worried about that duplicate, they have their internal processes, processes um, within stats. Right. to make sure that there are not duplicate entries. So, right. so that will be taken care of on their end. So just don't fill mm. it out and throw that second one away. Would uh, be okay, advice. very, yeah. very good. Also, yeah, well, both are valid, so you can use sure. either one of them. Sure, Got sure. it. Dr. Klein, um, information on gender and sexual identity will be collected for the first time mm-hmm. in this year's census. Would it be fair to say that some people might find some of the questions intrusive? Mm, I think that's that is that is something that yeah absolutely, um, but as I said earlier, this this information is so valuable and so useful, especially you know down the line in in what sort of services or so might be provided and and to get in those benefits to those different communities. Um, so I think that the value in filling out that information really outweighs any cost of it. Wonderful to have you on, Dr. Klein. Kia ora. Awesome. Yeah, the research fellow at Koitu, the Centre for Informed Futures at Auckland University. Um, so David re- and I waiting. <laughs> David That's and right. I just waiting to, to spend a couple of hours like doing our census data. I've got my form. My wife's got a form. We're going to be uh, filling it out. But this must, I mean, you must be salivating over this data story, <laughs> oh, David, huh? I David, mean, being a data person yourself. David's yeah, Christmas, no, I, I, Christmas I, time. I, I love all the stats data, but especially the census data. And and also, just on the issue you talked just about, the questions on gender and sex, I was part of the consultation on that. I think Stats New Zealand have done a really? very good job at asking the questions in a way that will give us really useful data because they actually have recognised that people's biological sex can be different to their gender identity. So they're actually collecting data on both. And a lot of the problems we have in this area is when people conflate the two. Uh, but Stats New Zealand has actually realised 
there is a difference and we need to have data on both people's biological sex at birth and also their gender identity. Okay, very good. Now, David Farrow there and Rawani Parati with me on the panel. By the way, before we go to our guests here, um, and while I remember, you wanted to drop in little tiny plug. You are here. Oh, Hui, the Hui, uh, uh, the new Hui season, season starting. Season eight. We start on Monday, 4.30 on live stream and then repeat it on Tuesday after the news hub late on TV3. Very exciting. Yeah. Be tuned. Thank you. Uh, it is 15 to 5. The panel, uh, this got uh, quite a bit of interest among people, did it not? Police were forced to intervene when protesters crashed a Pride Fest out west event at a public library yesterday. A uh, drag performer was hosting a storytime session when the protesters interrupted, saying they were sexualising and grooming children. The performer was escorted out safely while the library staff chose to close for the rest of the day. Auckland Libraries later responded on Twitter saying this type of behaviour isn't acceptable to us and causes distress for our staff and our visitors. I actually really feel for them because I just did an acknowledgement to our local library, mm. Blockhouse Bay Library. They do extraordinary, these extracurricular activities, little junior just loves just loves it. Free. So, soaks it up. Free. Yeah. It's engagement. It's community driven. Yeah. It's pretty damn cool. Um, but to get um, the response on this particular story, we have Max Tweedy, Auckland Pride Executive Director. Kia ora, Max. Kia ora, Wallace. Can you tell us a bit more or, or what you know about how this incident played out? Yeah, so we started to uh, see that the posts promoting the events kind of around mid-February um, had been kind of latched onto by uh, far-right groups um, that, you know, we've typically seen uh, vaccine misinformation from anti-government, anti-media, anti-establishment um, kind of messages from in this kind of Facebook pages. And so we were alerted to the fact that um, these kind of far-right groups were uh, not just aware of the event, but planning to protest against the event. And there were some more um, violent threats that, that came under those um, Facebook posts as well. So we were, um, yeah, made aware of the fact that this was likely a possibility. And so, yeah, yesterday while um, uh, Majula, uh, the drag artist, was... Um, was reading, uh, you know, story times to kids, which I went to a couple of those events uh, during Pride Month, and you know the kids just absolutely adore them. And uh, but some far right protesters decided to uh, crash that, uh, and and police escorted them out. Um, pretty for, upsetting, uh, I could imagine. Pretty upsetting for not just the staff, but parents there, and also potentially the children as well, if they uh, were cognizant of what was going on. Oh, it's so upsetting. I mean, you know, parents. Um, love bringing their kids to these events because they're so fun and, and lighthearted and drag artists are, are so engaging and, and you know, I, I know drag artists say that, you know, that the these events are some of the most wholesome and lovely events where they just get to, you know, read these awesome stories to kids and kids have an absolute blast with the sequins and the fun stories and, you know, these are just lovely, you know, wholesome yeah, community yeah. events that it's just about books and, and literature and reading and, and community and diversity and, and it's really, it's a real horrible thing. That Let's the, go around um, the panel on this. Kia ora, Max. David Farrar. Look, it's, it's pretty atrocious what happened because it comes down to a simple thing. If you personally don't want your kids to go to Drag Team Storia, don't turn up. But other parents have made the decision that they want to go and the library's made the decision they want to provide it. 
and people don't have a right to disrupt that. Protest is fine if it's not trying to close it down and disrupt it. And that's what these people did, is they said, we know better. We're going to stop parents being able to have their kids attend because we think uh, we're in a better position to judge than these parents. So, you know, for me, it's a free speech issue. And, yeah, I'm not sure what you can do. You don't want to have to have security guards or police at these things. But I think we can just hope this is not something that happens again. If you're not happy with it, you could even protest outside. But actually going inside and standing up and disrupting it is totally unacceptable. Okay, stay there, Max, or we'll come back yeah. to you, Rewani. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely agree, David. But, um, you know, that's a safe space, isn't it? A library. And, um, you know, the, the, the accusations was that Max of grooming, they were accusing the organisers of grooming children as well. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. yeah. Are they yeah, are they being think, arrested? Were they arrested? Uh, no, they weren't arrested. Um, and I, I mean, you know, from that kind of the disruption, I, I don't necessarily think they they should have been arrested. They probably just would have escalated the situation. But I think, mm. you know, I think it is worth noting that you know we we saw this coming out of the United States in, in the middle of last year, yeah. um, mm. and and we started being quite concerned about it. Obviously, there are. Uh, multiple legislatures uh, in states across uh, across the US that are legislating against drag events and against drag artists for this exact reason. It's these, now, it's these absurd uh, accusations of grooming that just have no basis in fact. Yeah, it's kind of a US-led movement, isn't it, uh, Max? But you, you, can, you could well appreciate, uh, could you not, that there'll be a um, sector of society that does not agree with it. So today, if you had a person here uh, uh, with headphones on uh, and said, uh, Max, I don't agree with it. I don't think that this is the forum, the time or the place to have drag queens reading stories to children in a library not appropriate. What would you say to them? Simple. Don't go. And that's, I think, the, the key message is, is it's parents are, are choosing, freely choosing, to bring their kids to these events because they're fun, they're community-minded. You know, these drag artists are in, are in full gowns. They're, they're not doing the kind of sets that they do at, at 2 o'clock at a, at a bar on, you know, Karangahape Road. These are completely different uh, events that are happening that are bringing kids into more inclusive environments, uh, you know, kind of bringing, educating them more about diversity in an inclusive society. These are good things that we want to see as our communities learn more about each other uh, and we kind of build more cohesion and we learn about each other. These are good events. Uh, and if you don't like it, don't go to it. Absolutely, Max. And I would have thought for a kid, it's colourful and just fun. They're not even reading like all that into it, you know, but yeah. Sad. Good on you, Max. Thanks for being with us on the panel. Uh, that's uh, Max Tweedy there, Auckland Pride Executive Director. You can respond to us uh, on text. Uh, how do you feel about that? 2101. Or you can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. 8 to 5. Lovely, really lovely to have your company um, of topics from everything from Granny Smith apples to um, not pulling over from ambulances to whether it should be Black Hole Sun or the Smiths. Not quite. <laughs> Quite sure if you made the right choice. I'm dying to hear Black Hole Sun. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, give us some apples while it's sweet. It's too well, depressing well, otherwise. <laughs> well, Let's on, argue over well, apples. Well, on that note, did you know that more than 300 species of apple are grown 
in Dunedin alone. Well, now locals are going to have the chance to get a peek behind the curtain when a heritage orchard opens its doors to the public. The Volco Park Cultivar Preservation Orchard on Mount Cargo will be open on the March 12th of March to mark the 20th anniversary. With us now to tell us what makes the orchard so special, we have Peter Rodwell from the Coastal Otago branch of the New Zealand Tree and Crops Association. Peter, hello. Hello there, Wallace. Question for you. You mightn't have been listening. Do people still eat Granny Smith? Well, I believe they do. Many people love them. Um, it's yeah, it's one. We have a huge variety of apples that have been developed, I guess, over the centuries, and that's one that uh, people seem to love. Um, it's but, a classic. Yeah. <laughs> classic. I, I, I was just amazed, actually, in why we sort of chose the story. Just the sheer varieties, because mm. everyone has their favourite. You know, your Brayburns, your Jazzers, your Grannies. Pink Rose. <laughs> no, honestly, Peter, rose. I've got to know, I've got to know, how many apple varieties is too many? Because i just got to know. Yeah. I don't think there's an answer to that, and I don't think we've ever got too many. Um, there's always development of new cultivars. Unfortunately, the drivers of the new cultivars are things like colour, appearance, mm. and will it stay on the supermarket shelf for, for, for weeks on end. Sure. Um, they're not the drivers that drive us in varieties. Varieties have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, so there's many, right. many of them, but mm. we are losing them. And so what our attempt here has been to make a bank or a library, if you like, of, of these, these cultivars. Oh, fantastic. The world is, yeah, cool. the whole purpose, I guess, is that we all have a, an interest, and this is particularly for the home gardener as much as even probably more so than the commercial. The commercial limit themselves down to only a few varieties, particularly based on those things like looks and shelf life. Um, whereas there is a lot of other varieties. And as the world closes down, closes down with infection, I know we've seen it with COVID and we see it with mad cow disease and all the, the animal diseases, but the plant diseases are doing exactly the same. Mm. And we are seeing the world starting to close down with, with fruit. And we understand that citrus fruit is not far from being closed down in the world and being able to ship, shift citrus fruit around and trees around. So what we're trying to do is find out what varieties, what genotypes we've got in this country. And the old genotypes we find have got tend to have much more disease resistance in them. And so it's important that we keep a collection of that. So there's two purposes here. One is that there is actually a wide variety and a collection um, of all of those cultivars for future requirements once we genotype them we'll be able to... Oh, this is great. Um, yeah, so open day March 12th there, uh, Peter. Let's bring in uh, David Farrer. I'm just interested in the story in the ODT. It says your orchard's got more than 200 trees spanning 300 varieties. And that suggests you have more varieties than trees. And I wonder if you can just talk through, am I interpreting that mm. correctly, that one tree can have more yeah. than one variety of Apple well, on it. These days, most yeah, most most fruit trees, in fact, that you buy in the in, in the in at, at the at the shop are in fact grafted, and they're grafted onto a rootstock. And the rootstock is either a miniature rootstock, or a, a semi dwarf rootstock, or a medium rootstock, or a, a full on growth rootstock, depending on how big a tree you want. So basically, trees. Also, the rootstock is usually a very strong variety so that its health, it, it will survive and grow then 
whatever you graft onto it. But the rootstock itself often doesn't have much in the way of fruit or it has no fruit. And let's so remind you, us, you, you've, you, you've got... Onto it. So these yeah. trees are triple grafted. You've got your Braeburns, you've got your Granny Smiths, but you've also got your enduring classics like your hen's turds and your non-tit <laughs> bastards there, Peter. <laughs> You'll be cancelled. You'll be cancelled, Peter. Those right? names, yeah. Who invents the names? Who says the names? Or are they old names? Are they? These, these are old names. These are names that have come down over the centuries. Many of these have been, been around for hundreds of years. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. What's what's your favourite? We, we have gathered them and we've managed to they're grafted onto trees. And some of the trees are double or triple grafted, uh, so they've got more than one variety on the tree. Oh. I feel like Mainly an because we've got yeah. limited space and we've got more types than we have space. So nice to have you on, Peter. We would like to single graft. We're going to get you back. I need Apple Part mm. 2 on this. Uh, <laughs> but March 12th is the uh, anniversary and also the open day. Uh, Mount Cargill. And a wonderful message to round out the show. Katie says, stuck in traffic, listening to the panel window down. Suddenly the panel gets a lot louder. The man in car next to me also with the window, window <laughs> down, cranking the panel. Great gridlock conversation. Awesome. On that note... It's wonderful to have you both in. Susie Ferguson uh, in tomorrow. I'm just having a little wee day off. And, Mental uh, health a, day. Yeah, and a big thanks to my wonderful producer, Sam Hollis. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is, ne- is next. Stay listening to the panel with Susie 345 tomorrow. <laughs>